Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, people of God. The Lord is with you. Some of you might remember a a movie from the 1950s starring Jimmy Stewart called Harvey. Do any of you remember ever having seen the movie Harvey? And for those of you that can't lift your hand, it's available everywhere, I'm sure. So I encourage you to do that. It was an interesting movie. I remember watching it as as a kid. Harvey was the name of a six and a half foot tall rabbit. That was Jimmy Stewart playing Elwood P. Dowd. It was Elwood P. Dowd's constant companion, a six and a half foot tall rabbit. Now, the thing about Harvey, who was with Dowd all the time, and he always introduced him to anyone he met, the thing about Harvey was two. One, he he had power over time. And second, the rabbit was invisible. Uh, The only one who knew him really was Elwood P. Dowd. And as you watch the movie, one of the questions that sort of comes up is who's more in touch with reality, Elwood P. Dowd or the people that he interacts with? It's kind of hard to know. If we're really honest with ourselves and we think about our faith in God, do you ever fear that the God we talk about is something like an imaginary friend? and you can't see him? Is it a problem that the person that's supposed to be most important to you in your life is someone you have never seen, never heard, never touched, and you couldn't if you wanted to? How do we love and trust someone we cannot see? Now, the invisibility of God, the fact that we can't see God, is not just a minor thing in the Bible. It it permeates all of Scripture, Old and New Testament. Biblical writers keep calling attention to this fact. We can't see him. And I find that interesting. It's like, well, of course we can't see him. He's God. But they call attention to that. Why? 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 17, the words of Scripture that lie behind the hymn that we just sang, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I receive mercy, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who would come to believe in him for eternal life. And then listen. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. There Paul is describing the qualities of Almighty God, his grace that's been displayed in Jesus Christ, the mercy and forgiveness he's shown to Paul. And then he identifies God as immortal, undying, eternal, king, the sovereign, and invisible. And wise. In 1 Timothy 6, a few chapters later, verse 16, Paul says of God, It is he alone 
who has immortality and dwells in inapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Go back to the Old Testament in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Moses is addressing the people of Israel and reminding them what their experience had been like with God at Mount Sinai back in Exodus chapter 19 and 20. He said, since you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the fire, take care and watch yourselves closely so that you do not act corruptly by making an idol for yourself in the form of any figure. And one of the chief commandments of the Ten Commandments is that we're not supposed to make the invisible God visible. We're not to form any image of anything in heaven or on earth or under the earth and point to that and say, this is our God. Uh, he's invisible. First Peter 1.8 says, talking about Jesus Christ, although you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy. A few years ago, I was preaching from that text. You have not seen him, but you love him. And uh, there was a little girl in the congregation who every single week, she's about nine years old, and every single week she would draw an artistic interpretation of the sermon. And they were, I should have collected them all and had the gospel according to her. But on this particular week, I remember it clearly. She drew a horse, and there was a line under the horse's feet for the ground, and you could see under the ground, and there was a carrot growing under the ground, colored orange, with a few leaves sticking up, and she had written with it, although you cannot see it, you love it. Well, that's where we are. You have not seen him, but you love him. And then John 1.18, no one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Now, I'm not trying to convince you that God is invisible. You already knew that. What I want to do is just call attention to the fact that it's a big deal in the Bible, that God is invisible. There's no attempt to hide that. In the Bible, that characteristic of God is listed as critical to who God is. He is invisible. But what does that mean, and why is it important, and what does it have to do with our life with God? Invisibility means more than simply that God can't be seen as if God were a ghost or if God were transparent like air or something. To speak of God as invisible means that God is spirit, not a spirit like a ghost, but God is spirit. It's his dimension of being. It's, it's where God lives. He lives, he is spirit, not material. Uh, Jesus said in John 4, 25, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. God inhabits a completely different kind of dimension than we do. We live in this material world. We have five senses, and that's how we experience it. But God is spirit. Uh, he, is, he inhabits the world of the spirit, an invisible world to us. It means not only is God invisible, he's also inaudible. Uh, we can't hear him in the physical way. God is immaterial. He cannot, we can't touch or taste or smell God. God is not available to our five senses. That's part of what it means to say he's invisible. He's in, he lives and exists in the world of the spirit. 
But it does not mean to say that God is invisible or that he inhabits the world of the Spirit. It doesn't mean that God is at some great distance from us, far, far away. It doesn't mean that at all, not either in time or space. When the New Testament speaks about heaven or the heavens, it means the place where God dwells. It is God's world, heaven. And it's not at a great distance, and it's not something just off in our future. It is present. God is at hand. God is close by. In, in the scripture, when a voice comes out of the heavens, like at Jesus' baptism or at the day of Pentecost or Moses at the burning bush, when the voice comes out of the heavens, it doesn't mean it comes from a long, long way off. It means it comes from the atmosphere in which the people are standing. It is right at hand. It means when we say our Father, which art in heaven, it doesn't mean, oh, God, who is a long, long way off. It means God who is closer than the air we breathe. He is spirit. He is present. He inhabits all of his universe completely and fully in all places at the same time. Paul says of God, in him we live and move and have our being. That would not be possible if God were material, if he were stuff like we are stuff. He is spirit. He is invisible. He inhabits a different dimension of the world, but it is one that is close at hand to us and one that he has equipped us to be able to experience. God's invisibility can honestly be a challenge to relating to God, can't it? I mean, sometimes we wish we could just see him or if he would just speak to us or send us an email or a text or something physical, material that would just immediately make him close to us. But it's a challenge to relating God. Ancient pagan people all had visible gods, every single one of them. They were visible gods. Now, they were stone or wood or some other material, but they could point to them and say, there's our God. And they mocked ancient Israel, Psalm 42, 3. They would say, where is your God? Show us to him. Show, show him to us. And Israel had nothing to point to. They never had an image of God. He was invisible. Well, that hasn't gone away. Modern atheists like Richard Dawkins, the biologist, mock Christians and others whose God is invisible as if they were worshiping an imaginary friend. Richard Dawkins says, when people say the idea of God is intellectually satisfying, well, of course it is. Wouldn't it be lovely to believe in an imaginary friend who listens to your thoughts, listens to your prayers, comforts you, consoles you, gives you life after death, can give you advice, of course, it's satisfying if you can believe it, but who wants to believe a lie? He says that belief in God is just a figment of our imaginations. We have an imaginary friend like Elwood P. Dowd. The truth is, Dawkins' reasoning is circular. He, he begs the question. He assumes what he sets out to prove. He assumes there's nothing in reality except the material world and then mocks people for believing in the spiritual world. If we claimed to have a material God, he would mock that. It's, it's not a good way of logic, a good way of reasoning. So, so maybe the bigger question for us is if God's invisible nature is important to who God is because it means he is spirit, it means he is everywhere available to us, he is always with all of us everywhere at all times, 
maybe the more important question for us is how do we learn we who are addicted to a material world and five senses, how do we learn better to relate to the one who loves us and yet is invisible? How do we keep our life with God from feeling like it's been fabricated or made up or pretend or imaginary? How do we do that? A hundred years ago, there was a fellow named Henry Churchill King. He was a congregational minister, and he delivered a series of lectures at Yale University named called the seeming unreality of the spiritual life. And he addressed that very issue. It's not a new thing. Christians for hundreds of years have been trying to come to terms with how do we who are material relate to the God who is invisible, who is spirit? How do we do that? How do we stay in touch with him? How do we walk by faith, not by fabrication? How do we really know God, not just know about God? Part of our problem with our spiritual experience seeming unreal has to do with those facts of the case simply is that God is invisible and we are material and we're accustomed to the material world. We have a material life every day and God does not. And we can't change those facts. That means that, means that we're not going to know God in the same way that we know other things in this world. We know other things in this world by touching them, tasting them, smell, smelling them, hearing them, looking at them, feeling all of those things, how we know stuff in this world. But we're not going to know God that way. It's going to be different. But he can be known. We will know God, Scripture says, by faith. And that faith is a way of knowing things. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 6, so we are confident that even though... We know that for a while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. And the book of Hebrews says that faith is one way of knowing the world, especially of knowing the spiritual world. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things, what? Not seen. It, faith is a way of knowing that which we cannot see. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we live with an unseen world all the time that we have great faith in. Anybody ever seen gravity? Um, physicists tell us that 95% of the known universe consists of dark energy and dark matter that we cannot see or measure, but which we have to assume to exist in order to make sense of the rest of it. 95% of the physical universe is invisible. Now, I don't know what any of that means. I'm just telling you that's what the physicists say. We depend on the invisible force of gravity to hold us in place and to keep the moon orbiting about the earth and govern the tides and the oceans. We depend on invisible air to breathe and we don't see or feel the earth's rotation, but we depend upon that for days and nights. Our bodies are made up out of molecules and atoms that we are incapable of viewing or seeing, but we don't let any of that bother us. We just go ahead and live with breathing and gravity and all of those unseen things every day. We walk into a room and we don't look first to see if there's any air in there, right? We just breathe. One of the early things that an infant learns is called object permanence, where it's why you can play 
peekaboo with them. They, when, to learn that when mom is not visible and she's out of the room, she didn't cease to exist. I can have faith that she's still there. And when a kid learns that, they're much more comfortable in the world. This faith, this conviction of things not seen is a thing that is exercised by people who have material bodies. Faith is a thing that people like you and I can live with. We can know the unseen even though we are material. We can learn to relate to God, not just despite the fact that we have material lives, but by means of it. Part of the problem with our spiritual experience, seeming unreal, sometimes has more to do with us than it has to do with God. Sometimes it's unreal because we neglect those practices that attune our minds and hearts to that other world. We go on and live in the material world, and we do not turn our attention to the other one, and so it begins over time to seem unreal to us. We don't put ourselves in a place through reading of Scripture and worship and prayer and meditation and obedience and other spiritual practices. We don't put ourselves in a place where we are open to and attuned to God's world. There's a story, a legend, about an ancient desert monk and um, an elder and a student, a disciple approached him one day and asked, Holy One, is there anything I can do to make myself enlightened, to be in touch with the spiritual world? And the old man said, as little as you can do to make the sun rise in the morning. And so the disciple said, then of what use are these spiritual exercises you prescribe? Prayer and scripture reading and all those. What use? To make sure, the old man said, that you're not asleep when the sun begins to rise. We can't make the sun rise, but we can be there when it happens. And in the same sort of way, we, we cannot see God, hear God. We can't access this other world, but we can make ourselves open to to it in particular ways, attentive to it, so that God has access to our lives. You know, when someone's away from you that you love, and they're traveling, or maybe they've been deployed in the military, or maybe they're off at college, while they're away, you do things to keep your attention, to keep them present, to keep them real in your minds, don't you? You may write letters or emails, you may make phone calls, you may send gifts. Uh, there's a lot of things we do to stay in touch with the one who is no longer visible to us to keep them close at hand. Otherwise, the old adage becomes true, out of sight, out of mind. If the practices aren't there to keep them close, who wants to be gone for two years, say, in a deployment and to come home and have your spouse say to you, I haven't thought of you a single time while you've been gone. I'm so glad you're back. We, we stay in touch with the invisible one that we love through practices in our life, don't we? And when we neglect those practices in the spiritual life, God can begin to seem less real to us. He doesn't become less real. We just experience him as less real. We have a hard time being material people connecting to the world of the spirit when we're not practicing those things that keep us attentive to it. Does that make sense? What kinds of practices help us to know the invisible God by faith? One is reading scripture that's been prescribed to us for a long time. We are blessed people to have in our possession the holy 
Scripture. And, and to continue to read and to learn of God, to think of God, keeps us focused on that and gives us a means, the Spirit means to speak to us through Scripture. And God is real to people who immerse themselves in a listening posture towards Scripture. Or uh, reading of Jesus in the Gospels. Colossians 1.15, Paul says, Jesus Christ is the image of what? The invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created in heaven and on earth, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. The more we stay in touch with Jesus, whom we can imagine with an image in our head, we haven't seen him, but he's imaginable because God became human and lived among us. And we read the gospels and read the gospels and read the gospels and those stories and that life becomes more and more real to us. It's a, one of those practices we can do to be open to knowing God by faith. The church is an important part of that. It's not an accident that Paul and others refer to the church as the body of Christ. You and I have a role to play in helping the invisible God be accessible and known to one another by our love, by our kindness, by our forgiveness, by our mercy, by our life together we manifest the love of God and the life of Christ, and God becomes a bit more, in a sense, tangible to us. It's our responsibility to each other as the church. Creation is one of those places where the invisible God becomes more real to us. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. We experience and know more of the invisible God by attending to, paying attention to, being among the visible creation that he has left us. His art, his handiwork helps us to stay in touch with the reality of the artist. All of those things, scripture, the gospels, Jesus, the church, creation, are practices that we engage in our lives and in the process, God is more real to us than if we neglect those kind of things. Sometimes our spiritual life seems unreal because we've neglected the practices that keep us in touch with God. Sometimes our spiritual life seems unreal because we have no living connection with God through most of our life. Uh, our spiritual life can easily consist of nine o'clock on Sunday morning till noon, and then we're done with that for the rest of the week. But more and more, God is real in our lives when we seek to allow God to permeate all of our life all week long. Dallas Willard says that Christ-likeness that we are called to pursue doesn't mean that we live the life of Jesus. He's already lived that life. We live the life that God has given us as Jesus would live it if he were us with our problems, our resources, our relationships, our jobs, our responsibilities, our family in this place, this real tangible life that each one of us has been given to live, we learn to live it as Jesus would live it if he were us. That's what Christ-likeness is about. That means that all of our life is connected to God. 
our work is, our leisure is, our trials, our difficulties, our joys, our illnesses, our pains, our families, our responsibilities, our friendships, our politics, our ethics, our morality, all the things that comprise our lives are connected to God. And when that is the case, God's reality is much easier to experience. We live by faith, not by sight. But when Christ only occupies a corner of our life, he seems less and less and less real to us. The practices of the spiritual life can help us with that also. We can think through the day ahead. What do I know or really expect is going to happen today? I can pray about that. And when those things come along in the course of our day that we weren't expecting, surprises, good or ill, uh, we can pray about those things. As we go through the daily life, we can have the practice of giving thanks for those things that we notice that are the gifts of God to our life. At the end of the day, we can ask the Holy Spirit to help us look back and point out the places where he was involved, whether we noticed it or not. And over time, we know him more and more by faith through the daily life we live. Our goal in Christian living is to live a life of obedience to God full obedience to God. Dallas Willard um, spoke of what he called the great omission from the great commission. The great commission we know, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all the creatures, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And the great omission was that, teaching them to observe all the things I've commanded you. We preach the gospel and ask for commitment. We expect conversions to Christ. But Jesus said, teach them obedience to me. And it is this lived obedience that is the practice that shapes us into reality that God is real and God is present with us. All the things I've commanded you, that means Things like learning to live simply rather than being caught up in greed and materialism and the consumerism of our world. It includes refusing to judge and condemn others as Jesus taught us. It includes learning to forgive when we're wrong. It includes learning to love not just our neighbor but our enemy. It includes pursuing a life of purity, pure love, not pure hatred or pure anger. Faithfulness, kindness, goodness, self-control, truthfulness, and service. It includes a concern for the poor, the oppressed, the outsider who is among us as Jesus taught us. These are all the things in the gospel that Jesus taught. And when we ignore them, concentrating on something else, failing to obey, he seems increasingly less real. Jesus really taught us a life he expected to be lived, and he promise to be our teacher and to be with us always, even to the end of the age, as we learn to live that life. It is learning to live a life of obedience that allows God's reality more and more to permeate our lives. Learning to love and trust someone we can't see or hear or touch is a challenge for the life of faith. That's what faith is about. And for a time, God bent himself to our need. He put himself at our disposal for a bit. He became flesh and dwelt among us, John says in John 1.14. And while he was among us, he revealed God to us and let us know what God is like. Night before his death on the cross, Jesus was with his disciples in an upstairs room and Philip, one of his disciples, said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. 
And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you such a long time, Philip, and you've not known me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? One of those disciples who was in that room that night later wrote in 1 John, We declare to you that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testify to it and declare to you that eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so you may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with Jesus Christ. For a few years, a few people on the planet had the opportunity to use the five senses to know God. Jesus was present. John said, we touched him. We saw him. We heard him. We know what his perspiration smelled like. We walked with him. We ate with him. We were with him. And we are testifying to you that he revealed God to us. On Easter Sunday, the day after the resurrection of Jesus, some of his friends gathered in the upper room, and Jesus broke through that, those walls and became visible to them one more time. And one of the disciples was not present, a guy named Thomas. Bless his heart, he got stuck with the name Doubting Thomas for missing one church service. They told him what had happened, and he, he couldn't believe it. He said, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. And the next Sunday, the group gathered again, but this time Thomas was with them. And Jesus appeared again, and he approached Thomas and extended his hands and offered him the opportunity to do what he said he needed to do in order to believe. Touch me. If you put your hand in my side. Well, Thomas did not even attempt. He fell at Jesus' feet and said, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Jesus said it's actually a good thing we can't see him, that he's no longer merely among us in a material fashion. We always wish he was, but when he was, he was limited to a single place, a single time with a small group of people. Only so many had access to him at any time. But he said, when I go away, it's to your advantage because I'm going to send my spirit, the invisible presence of God, and I'll be available to all of you everywhere, all of the time around the world. It's to our advantage. He would be with us always. I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare the things that are come to you. So, you and I have been given a gift. It's the gift of the testimony of those who saw him, heard him, touched him. And beyond that, we're given the presence of God's Holy Spirit to us to allow us access into this world that we cannot see if we will but do those things that open ourselves to it. We are called to believe without seeing. Actually, we're called to believe because believing by seeing doesn't actually work. There were a lot of people in those days who saw him and never believed. Believing without seeing is a blessed thing, and we're called to reject the notion that all that exists in this world is material. We're called to know that the spiritual dimension in which God lives is not only real, it is now accessible to us through Jesus Christ. We are called to confess and to sing. Immortal, invisible, 
God only wise, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious. Thy great name we praise. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we always leave this place on Sunday mornings and we've got lives to go attend to. And we want to have a greater sense week after week, increasingly so, that we are walking with you and in you and that we're coming to know you, that all those things that comprise our lives, the good things, the difficult things, are things in which you are with us, which you walk beside us. We want to come to know you by faith more and more. We pray you would teach us that. Help us to do the part you've given to us of opening our lives and attending to you and focusing our attention and not forgetting you. But we pray that you would do all that you are capable of doing given what we offer you, break through into our lives. We thank you, Lord, that you are our God, our Lord, the King, and that you reign invisibly but powerfully through all your universe, in Christ's name, amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.